Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and we're going to be speaking about the art of observation. The art of observation, heightening our awareness and learning life lessons from the world around us. This program is dedicated in loving memory of Rivka Bat Shlema Zalman, dedicated by her beloved husband, Seymour Dorfman. May this class and these teachings serve her soul well in elevating and growing and in turn bless her husband and uh, children with all their needs materially and spiritually. So look around you. What do you see? I know it sounds like a uh, simple question. We have, thank God, blessed with healthy eyes. We look around. What do we see? And are others seeing the same thing that we see? Now, ostensibly, if you have healthy eyes, we should all be seeing the same empirical reality. But is that really accurate? Because in truth, the fact is that what you see is not what you get. You could say usually not what you get, but in most cases, and maybe even always, not what you get. There's much more to reality and existence than what meets the eye. All of us understand that. You can begin with yourself. Someone looks at you, and they judge you by the cover, and they judge you by what you project, and then you realize that it's quite insulting. There's a whole part of you, there's a personality inside of you that is functioning and working and uh, feelings and experiences. And even we ourselves don't always know all the levels and dimensions. So it's not what you see is what you get. It doesn't matter what it appears to the outside. We all understand it. But here's this mysterious paradox. Though we understand it, yet we are seduced by externals, by the surface, by the cover of things. One of the most misguided, you can say, and incorrect cliches is when you say, don't judge a book by its cover. Everybody judges a book by its cover. That's why the book design, book cover design industry and marketing and packaging, not even to mention beauty supplies and cosmetics and makeup and, uh, and, and cosmetic surgery and so on, is a multi-billion dollar industry. Because people do judge things by what they appear to be. Though we understand there's more and we don't want to be judged that way. So there's a, there's a real paradox between what appears, what looks on the surface, and what is going on beneath the surface. And this impacts our lives in many ways. Because how many state mistakes have been made? How many people have been hurt because they were misjudged or prejudged by an outside appearance alone? How many times have we been hurt and wounded and wronged because we were judged by our covers. So this isn't just a theoretical academic discussion. It actually touches upon vital components. And I would say something that's happening every moment in our living lives. The things we observe, the things we look at, the things we see, the conclusions we come to, the prejudices we have. So the big question is, can we learn to look deeper and see things for what they really are and not just what they appear to be. And can we create a sustainable method to can always look at things in that way? 
Because what we observe, even though it's one of the five senses, but our eyes, our vision, we do have sound, what we hear, taste, touch, and smell, but our vision is maybe our primary sense because the first thing, that the first reaction to anything is what you see and how powerful impact it has on us. And we have optical illusions and we have things that we come to conclusions based on something we've seen and then later we come to realize it's something completely different. So this impacts every aspect of life, our own personal lives, our relationships, how we traverse and travel through, the, through life, the journey of life, wherever we may be. So that's what we're going to be discussing. So let's begin with an interesting, an interesting contrast. Words, of course, and definitions carry so much weight. What is the word in the English language when we say the face of something? On the face of it. On the, it means the surface. On the face of it, it looks like that, the face of the ocean. The face of a person. But when you look deeper, there's more going on. So face is important because it's the face. You say the public face. The face of the organization, of the company. Not to dismiss it. But a face is really the, the front end, basically. What's going on beneath the face? We don't call the face. We call that the inner workings, the back end, under the dashboard, behind the curtain. The list goes on. The inner workings. In Hebrew, which we'll talk about in a moment, the power of the Hebrew language, it's a very different type of language than most of the Latin, I would say all the Latin Western languages. In the sense it's a metaphorical language as opposed to a descriptive language. A descriptive language is you have words that have an etymology and have roots that mean something, but then you have a word that table's a table, a chair's a chair. We could have called a chair a table and a table a chair, even though the roots may be, but that's how it is. We, use, we have descriptive, descriptive language. Metaphorical language is when you say a word has many, many layers to it. Meanings, numerology, alludes to things. So the word for face in English, what is the word in Hebrew? Panim. Panim. That's a face, a panim. Now in Hebrew, the word panim means face, but it also means something else. It means internal. Panim. Panimi. Panimiyut. So panim can mean the face of it. It could also mean that which is within. Which one is it? In English, you say the face of something, it's not what's within. The face of it. Just a tremendous lesson. Let's talk about duplicity for a moment. You know, we talk about people who smile to you, but they can stab you in the back. Well, that's ultimate duplicity. In Hebrew, there's also an expression for it. Echad bepeh, echad belev. You say one thing and you feel something else. We do this all the time. Sometimes it's innocuous and doesn't have real effect. Sometimes it can be very destructive. And what is that? That is the experience of duplicity, where there's two different worlds, a duality. In truth, in Hebrew, it's essentially teaching us that the same word for the outer is the same word for the inner, is teaching us that duplicity is not a standard. It's an anomaly, it's an aberration. Because what you see should be what you get, and what you get should be what you see. Obviously, we cannot always express on the outer level everything that's going on inside, us, inside of us. That which is inside of a heart of a person, you cannot fully express, even to yourself. But that does not mean there have to be a conflict and be duplicitous 
and be a, a, a uh, very two different voices. Look at children. Children have to be told, don't tell everyone what's going on in our house. Why? Not because cheap children are blabbermouths, but because children don't know the world of duplicity. They don't know the world of certain things are, are private. Sometimes that's also healthy. Not everything that's intimate and private and done in closed quarters have to be publicized. But by children, they don't have the concept of lying, of deceiving, of saying, no, it didn't happen. Because there's a certain seamlessness, a certain transparency would be the right word, of what's within is expressed what's without. Adults, in a good case, we have self-control, so we don't express everything. But on the downside of it, it means what happens is that, that there are times there's also the worst side of it. You don't always express it. It could also be lying. You lie. You know, I was thinking about it just the other day. I was thinking about how much money goes into court cases and litigation and fights and wars and witnesses are brought in evidence for months, for years. All because we don't know what's going on, what happened in the real story. And people lie about crimes that they did or crimes others did. And we're trying to piece it together and we look for evidence and we'll never have air, airtight proof you have proof beyond reasonable doubt, all the different expressions, legal expressions. Because there is a world beneath the surface that, can be con- that is concealed and can be not just concealed, it can be also distorted. So that concept of seamlessness, of transparency, is for us a novelty. Say, I'll be transparent. The IRS demands transparency. Shareholders demand transparency. Every company, healthy company, demands transparency. Why do they have to demand it? Because we could also be liars. And, intention, and when we have ulterior motives and we have self-interest at stake, we will be deceptive. Whether it's overt lying, white lies, whatever it may be. Withholding information. So the concept of transparency and seamlessness is not come easy to the human race. Especially when self-interest comes into play. What the Hebrew word is telling us that what the inner is and the outer, they are seamless and they should be flowing from one another in the healthiest circumstances. Again, that doesn't mean we wear our hearts on our sleeve and we share everything with everybody. We have to be careful. We live in a world that there are predators, there's corruption, so we have to be careful. But it means internally we have that innocence and that peace that the inner and the outer are really two sides of one coin which brings me back to observation and so on. The mystics explain, and I've discussed this many times, that the fundamental nature of existence, that existence can see itself as being self-made, self-contained. I don't feel I'm an extension of my parents. I don't feel I'm an extension of any creator, though my mind may understand it, is based on the principle that the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, the great 16th century mystic, teaches the doctrine, the secret of tzimtzum, the concealment, the great concealment, where the divine, divine consciousness concealed itself, allowing the presence of another. Now that is necessary for existence to be. Without that, there is no existence. There's no relationship. There is no other. There's only one seamless, transparent reality and consciousness, what's called pre-tzimtzum consciousness. So as, as pure as that may be, but it doesn't really leave room for another. As soon as you have leave room for another, there's also the other side to that, that the other and you may not fully integrate. Now, 
the best case scenario is two individuals who learn to connect, to love each other, which is exactly the story of creation in Genesis. Man and women, male and female, were created as one, separated, and then they are attracted to each other to rejoin and unite. That's the beautiful ending, a romantic ending. And then their connection is even deeper because they discovered each other. So there was another, and they can love the other, even though they began as one. The same thing our relationship with the divine. It was all one seamless reality. Another space for another was created. That other connects. So it's the same type of loving, intimate relationship. But there's the other side to it. Let's say the other chooses their own agenda. I'm not interested in joining with you. And now you have two agendas. You have two egos. The the first and the other. One and the other. And they can even oppose each other. First, they're different. They're diverse, which is fine. It's good to be diverse. But diversity can can lead to divisiveness. And hence to duplicity. And hence that each one has their own agenda and their own self-interest. And there you have the split, the schism, the dissonance. And that's the story of history. As human beings began to transmigrate, as they began to separate different agendas, so sometimes they were able to collaborate and coexist, and sometimes they didn't, which led to war and hostility and discord and everything that comes with that, all the injustices that men have perpetrated on men. The story of war. It could be a physical war. It could be a psychological war. It can be a cultural war, a religious one. The list goes on. The purpose of it all was the other was that, and we have the diversity and the beauty, the harmony within diversity. But diversity can also lead to a split. And the split begins within ourselves because that symptom, that dissonance also begins within ourselves. Are we seamless and transparent with ourselves, let alone with another? That's how deep it is. And I would submit that when you have dissonance within, you will have dissonance without. They are interdependent and interconnected. And that is the split. So therefore, we can live in a world and you see something, and what you see is not what you get. Whether we accept the idea of fake news, there's no question there's certain things about the media and news that is not necessarily true. I remember my grandfather came from Russia, would tell me. My father was a journalist, so in a way he was like dismissive of him. He said, everything in the newspaper is a lie. And I said, Zayda, Grandpa, this isn't Russia. This is America, free press. In Russia, yeah, that was the pur- it was uh, propaganda. I remember someone coming back from Moscow years ago. They had an English-Russian English newspaper. And on the cover, it was a tabloid. It was a picture. It looked like a ghost town with one little lamp, broken lamp, burning. And the headline was, this is, and I kid you not, the headline of the front page. Last residents of New York abandoned the city. Now, no one knew differently because they didn't have any other alternative. This was what was fed to them. The Yiddish newspaper, Pravda, is the Russian main newspaper. You know what Pravda means? Truth. Would you trust a newspaper that calls itself Truth? And then when they did a Yiddish communist newspaper, it was called MS. MS is in Yiddish, Truth. Interesting, it was spelled Ayin Mem Ayin Samach. For those of you that know how it's spelled, you know that's completely wrong. The true, the word for truth was misspelled in every possible way. Was, the word for truth was, was spelled in a, in a lie as a lie. 
I always thought that maybe the editor who was under the control of the government was a way of him planting a seed by saying, listen, even the title of this newspaper don't trust. I don't know. But getting back, but here it's a free press, so my grandfather responds, even the date on the newspaper is not true. It was printed the night before. Now, I'm not, I don't want to take this to extreme, but at the end of the day, it is human beings that are producing media. And who's the watchdog over the watchdog? We've, always, we've seen how we have been hurt by so-called watchdogs in the security, in the security administration in the area of Wall Street and markets and so on. This doesn't mean we should trust no one, but it means we live in a world where it's possible that people have agendas. And actually not possible, they actually have agendas. And their agendas may influence and prejudice and color and taint their viewpoint to the point they themselves don't even know. Because that's what a blind spot is. When you're prejudiced, it affects your mind. You start convincing yourself that what you're saying is objective. That's what subjective, subjectivity does. It makes you think you're objective. But the fact is we have to acknowledge that we live in a world where there are, there's a duality. Where, and the purpose of it is to create a unity. But the possibility is, and often that's what happens, and that's what's happened throughout history, is two different worlds. So what you see is not what you get. And the face of something is not necessarily what's inside. Comes the Hebrew language, which teaches us the soul of the word and the soul of the concept, and says, no, the face of something and its inner personality are truly and should be one and seamlessly one to the point of total transparency. That's how it should be. This, again, mean, doesn't mean you have to go and speak about everything, but it means there's that seamlessness. You don't have to make an effort. Like someone once told me, when you lie, then you have to constantly think about other lies to cover up the first lie because you don't even remember when you lied. Truth, you don't have to do that because you don't have to make fabricate anything. That's why in Hebrew you say, sheker ein raglaim. A lie has no feet. And emes does. What does it mean it has no feet? It has nothing to stand on. That's why the three Hebrew letters for Sheker are all three near each other, the three next to last three letters in the Hebrew alphabet, because they need each other to support each other. MS, the word for truth, is the first of the Hebrew alphabet, the last letter, and the middle letter, exactly the middle. Why? Because MS does not need companions. You don't need a cover-up. You don't need friends to lie for you to support your lie. You don't need alibis, because you are on solid ground. You're standing on your own feet. So let's bring this back now to our conversation about observation. So when we look at things, yes, we are seduced by it because that's the way it was, the world is created, that's the way existence functions, that face and superficial cover make, carry weight. However, the wise person, what does it say? The wise person sees the birthing, sees what is beneath the surface. How did we get here and where is this going? So you can look at the same thing. Two people can look at the same thing and one person sees randomness or just sees surface level realities and the other person sees a pattern, sees an inner choreography, sees a narrative unfolding and a narrative first of your own life and then of the life of the people around you. And that changes everything. So the observation is truly an art. It's not just something, open your eyes and you see things. You have to be trained, and there are methodologies and techniques and tools how to look beneath the surface. But above all, you need to first know that's why I'm elaborating on the two realities. Because if you don't acknowledge that, then you could say, you know what, it's okay. The surface may not be everything beneath the surface, 
But uh, it more or less reflects what's going on. Not necessarily. You can have a package of a product that's beautiful and powerful and the product is worthless. Another example. Look at the face of the ocean. The cover of the sea. The sea cover. What do you see? You see water. You see waves. Once in a while you see a few fish jumping out. You may see the fin of a whale. And a few other things. We may see remains that wash up on shore. But if we didn't have cameras and we never went underwater and we didn't have scuba divers and we had none of that mapping the ocean floor and everything beneath the sea, what would we conclude? That there's a few fish in the ocean, maybe a few big ones. Would we know what's going on now? That the, uh, the undersea world is complex and more complex even than the and land itself? That there are, there are mountains and valleys and terrain. There are volcanoes and earthquakes and species that we're still discovering more species than there are on earth. In the words of the Talmud, everything that's in the sea is on land. It doesn't say everything on land is in the sea, because the sea has far money more species. And there are depths we haven't even reached. It's a whole world. It's a world that's even more complex than the world on land, and we know more about outer space in some instances than we know about what's going on under the cover of the sea, the cover, the face, the panim. Now we know that. So what does that teach us? Don't judge a book by its cover. Because if you do, you, you can lose sight of everything. So it's not just that the surface is revealing a little. It may be revealing nothing. Or actually revealing something that's contrary to what's going on beneath the surface. As we pointed out earlier, as I pointed out earlier, how we judge things by the surface and then discover it's completely not that way. People get hurt in the process. We make mistakes. So you first have, must acknowledge that. Not just acknowledge it, know it in, the, in, the, in your gut. Because once you know it, like we say, half the cure of a problem is awareness of it. The awareness of this dual, possible duality, of these two realities, the surface and the inner, and there is no seamlessness initially, helps us achieve seamlessness. Because then you begin to look. You say, you know what, I see something, I meet a person. No, I'm not going to come to any conclusions. Judge? For sure, no judgment. We never judge anybody. And you learn about someone. It's called being respectful. It's called being honest. It's called being, having integrity. And sincerely giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Learning about them. Now, we may not have patience, but that's our issue. And we may just want quick conclusions. So we like to fit people on box into, into categories and on certain shelves. That's called prejudice. Sometimes those prejudices are innocuous. Sometimes they're very destructive. They can create racial discrimination, hate crimes. We're all created in the divine image by one God. We're all pieces of one puzzle, of one large mosaic. Each one an indispensable musical note or a dispensable piece of the art that is both needed and needs everyone else. That awareness is the key to true, the true art of observation. To see things. To see things within ourselves, observe things within ourselves, observe in others. Let your eyes lead you, but don't let your eyes define you or define that which you see. Your eyes are tools. They're tools of exploration. They allow you to see things. Just like the mind is a computer. allows you to process things. But don't become the processor. Don't become the tool. The tool is a tool for you to discover, to study, to observe, to explore, 
and always seek out what is going on beneath. You see someone getting very angry. There's a force beneath the surface, just like a volcano erupts, not in the blue, not in a vacuum, but due to many years of built-up, pent-up energy and pressure. Everything is that way. Now, obviously, there are things in life that are not necessarily that profound. You know, the people do things on a very superficial way, and, and, you, and it passes. But there are many things in life where we do need to look deeper, especially when we look at ourselves and at others. And it just opens up new vistas and new horizons as we discover that there's a bigger picture than what meets the eye. And what you see is not what you get. But then what happens is it doesn't change the face. It infuses. So then the face of it becomes a reflection of that which is also within. Those people that have that type of, what should I say, the sparkle, the charm, in a healthy way, is their insides are shining to their outsides. There's a beautiful expression in the book of Proverbs. The wisdom of a person glows on the face, shines on the face. So yes, the windows are eyes to the soul. But they could also be deceive us and deceive others. So it's critical to understand these two realities and understand the purpose of our lives is exactly that. To bridge an interface. The inside with the outer. The panim and panim, the inside, the inner, with the panim and the surface. And outer beauty reflects inner beauty. And inner beauty is expressed in outer beauty. Isn't that beautiful? That's true beauty. We are, however, as I mentioned, seduced, distracted. We can do all kinds of things because the moment or the picture looks good. As the cynics say, it's not what happened, it's what people believe happened. It's not what you see, it's what the picture looks like. So let's make sure we paint the picture right. A woman was rolling her carriage, a newborn child in her, in her carriage, Someone comes over and looks, what a beautiful little boy. And the mother says, that's nothing. You should see his picture. This is the world in which we live. Picturegrams. Images. It's all great if it captures reality. Not the other way. Not if it replaces reality. An image, a picture should capture reality. Should convey it. Should express it. Should be able to be sent all over the world. The image of something beautiful. But not replace it. And not seeing that the image is more important than the thing itself. So you can airbrush it and you can manipulate it. But the key thing is what is going on in the inner and the inside. So we're not, dis- we're not dismissing outer beauty. We're not dismissing the observation of beautiful things. Things should be beautiful. You should have a beautiful home, beautiful spouse, beautiful people around you. Behavior should be beautiful, etiquette, refined. But not just external refinement, but one that's being ex- expressing inner refinement. So to go back about to observe, it basically means following. Think of it this way. Next time you open your eyes in the morning, try to see your eyes in a new way. Let your eyes look at things in a new way. You see something, watch it, meditate on it. Even a wall, a table, a chair, a bird, a flower. But don't be hasty don't rush it allow yourself to savor to cherish what you're seeing especially if it's the face or the person of a loved one and you'll be surprised what happens 
by focusing on it, you start saying, one second, okay, I see the surface, but what's going on more? What's more? Ha- what's hap- what, what else is happening? Even an inanimate object like a table. You say to yourself, what happened at this table? Why should, what is this table for? How do I use it? You start, the table comes alive in a new way. So even a grain of sand carries in it infinity. Infinity in the palm of your hand in William Blake's famous poem. And to see heaven in a grain of sand. Well, actually, it's heaven in a wild... Uh, to see, uh, what does he say there? Eternity. The bottom line is to see infinity, to see eternity, to see things even in a grain of sand. And that's how true beauty emerges. It becomes something that, yes, your eyes see, but you let your eyes focus and start seeing the x-ray of it. Obviously, we don't see the insides with a physical eye, but your eye can lead you there if you allow it to. Don't let your eyes control you, control you, you control your eyes. And then you look at things, some things you shouldn't be looking at. And you just ask yourself, why am I looking there? It's just it's creating external stimulation, but it's not something that has anything deeper. There's no relationship involved. There's no deeper uh, enrichment. There's no growth that comes from it. It's succumbing to the seduction of your eyes. So this is not a small exercise. This can change how you look at things, literally. Now you look at people. Now you look at experiences. Something challenging happens today in your day. Very annoying experience at work. Something in your relations with the spouse, with children. So it could, of course, take control of your life. You become very crabby, even depressed, very aggravated. And that can suddenly become your new modus operandi, at least for now. Comes this message and says, it happens, it's true. It's annoying on the surface. And maybe deservedly, deservably so. But it's not the end of the story. There's more going on. Why did it happen? There's other things going on in life. Am I going to define all of life by this moment? In other words, don't allow the momentary experience, including the vision of it, to control the narrative. There's a deeper narrative. This is one piece of it. And it may be an important piece. And it may be a piece that really gets your attention. But there's always a larger narrative. So all these are methods and tools of how to observe, the art of observation. To see and heighten your awareness of everything going on in you, around you, and the world around you. And you know what happens? You start realizing and seeing things, not for what they are, but what they can be. You start seeing the potential in things while recognizing its actual reality at this moment. And you start to learn lessons, lessons from everything that you see, personal lessons that help empower and help you grow. So it's another way of looking at things. It's, taking, it's not taking for granted the power of sight. It's really understanding that observing is the first step of many steps of growth, of refinement, of development, becoming a better person and fulfilling the calling for which you were put here in this world. So that's the story of vision, the art of observation. And it affects everything that we do. Remember, observing, of course, with the physical eyes, but there are also things, perceptions we have. First perceptions, our first reaction. Sometimes it's accurate, but sometimes it's not. It may be accurate, but it may be missing a lot of the story. 
This creates a certain patience, I would even say, patience, to see things through, to allow yourself to look at something and say, what more is going on? And respect others as you want them to respect you. Not dismissively, based on a particular behavior. They tell the story, I guess it's an analogy or it's a true story, of someone who's traveling on a train, and he saw a family, very annoying. You know, sometimes you see kids running about, and they were making such a racket, and this was a long trip. And he said, oh no, this is going to be some trip I'm going to have here. Same thing you could say for a plane, but maybe even more annoying, because it's more enclosed chambers. But he sees the kids are fighting, and, and tells the father, can you control your children? And getting more and more annoying. Why is the father not controlling his children? Then, before the trip is over, and he's aggravated to no end. You know, when you really get angry, you start saying, I'm going to do everything possible, I'll write to the owners of the train, and I'm going to want my refund, and I maybe upset at this family. Someone whispers to him. See that family there, that man and his children. He just lost his wife last week. They're coming back from the funeral, from the grief and so on. What do you think happened? It's only changed his whole demeanor, his whole attitude. He didn't even have to work at it. It's not like, okay, now let me recalibrate. No. Immediately, a shift. Why? Because suddenly he saw a story he didn't know. And suddenly you realize all that aggravation, all that annoyance, all the anxiety and everything else that led to, and even losing sleep. This is a family that needs help. This is a family that should be, needs compassion. It's a family that is well understood by the children around. The father feels helpless. They're weak. They're vulnerable. They're hurt. And he went over and said, what can I do to help? The same person. What do you see from this? Again, without effort. Sometimes you hear something and you have to go back and correct. Here, immediately, everything changed. He didn't even have any, even one tinge of being angry or upset. Because he realized it's a story he never knew. If I knew that, who knows? So how many mistakes have we made? How many people have we hurt? How many people have hurt us? Because they saw something and that was it. And we don't even know the end of the story. Here we know. We don't even know there was something more. And we may still think we were right. Or they people think they're right. It opens up a whole new perspective. There's a wider horizon. There's things beneath the surface that are always brewing. This doesn't mean every time you're annoyed, there's always a reason not to be annoyed. It could be the annoyance is legitimate, but you know what? There's always a reason to rise above the annoyance. And sometimes the person does is truly annoying, and you have to say to yourself, you know what? That's that person's problem. I have other issues. I'm not going to be in the. I'm going to get myself out of the line of fire. All this is part of the conscientiousness, the conscientiousness necessary in the art of observation, in the ability to allow our eyes to lead us, but not our, allow our eyes to conclu- come to conclusions, but allow them to become tools of a bigger picture. And just like when you hear things, you hear stories with your ears, and the same thing, smell, taste, and touch. Same with all our senses. There's also an art how each of them should be harnessed should be used for their strengths. But they are not the final arbiter, the final say of what the picture is. You need more than just your sensory tools. You need your mind. You need your discretion. You need your heart. You need your experience to realize there's much more going on in everything. 
Now, we all have to just choose and prioritize where to focus what's an important thing and what's minor. So I'm not suggesting that you can do this everywhere, but essentially, the wise person, who's the wise person? The person who sees the birthing. What does that mean? He doesn't look at things at face value. It's always, where does it lead to? Where did it come from? Sees the birthing of things. Where this is, what this can lead to? What potential is there? You see sometimes people who are hired by big companies and they don't seem any they don't seem to have any qualifications and something was seen by an experienced person he saw in that person something and that person ends up becoming transforming the entire company a leadership that would never have been imagined some people have trained because they don't allow themselves to be distracted by what appears on the surface they look deeper and they allow that deeper look to inform their life and their, their experience and as I said, this is true in every area of life, especially important and pertinent when it comes to challenges. Because challenges throw us. They, in a way, emotionally capture our attention, and we can't see far beyond it. And we see it as this moment, there's a hurdle. This moment, there's an obstacle. Instead of looking back and saying, one second, there's another inside story going on. I need to look deeper. Challenges are, are actually opportunities. So my friends... The art of observation. Tremendous art to master. Don't ever think of it in terms that you have to do it in all one shot. Pace by pace. I gave an example what to do tomorrow morning. Take a few times during the day and allow yourself to meditate, to contemplate on this. See who's in the room that you're sitting in or outside on taking a walk or in the park or traveling, even commuting. It's all an opportunity. You're driving a car. Let's say you're going to be an hour in traffic. We stop by a red light. Look at another car. Look at a person. Don't think of it. When am I going to get to my destination? Obviously, you want to. Take it in. Absorb it in. And you'll see things you've never seen before. Because you're looking with a new set of eyes. You're looking with eyes that also look within, not just without. You're looking with eyes that don't just see the surface, but peer inside. And it's a tremendous exercise that trains you to look at everything in new ways. You begin to look for the causes instead of the symptoms, for the roots instead of the reactions. It just trains you and um, directs you and guides you to look at things differently, to have different type of discretion, to not rush to judgment, to be more sensitive, to be more kind and gentle, and in general, to be a more real person, a realer person who really sees things for what they really are instead of the easy way out which is just to dismiss it or just to file it away or categorize it based on a few outside superficial criteria. And it will enrich your life to become a more meaningful person, to live a more meaningful life, which of course is the mission of our organization that I'm so honored to direct, so honored to work with people who are committed to this 24-7. And I see you, we see you as partners in this. Because this type of perspective of using our eyes, the art of observation, is something not just for you and I, it's for everyone out there. So if you hear this, it resonates with you, share it. Today there are many, many methods to share. Whether it's email, whether it's social media, obviously in person. That's the way we create a ripple effect that actually can transform the world. The tipping point that reaches a critical mass to look at things this way. Imagine people look this way. That duality, that duplicity, that duality, that schism, that dissonance, 
we can actually do something to make inroads to slowly dissolve it to the point where instead of dissonance and disparity and divisiveness and war and hostilities, we can see it as complementary forces, all part of one large cosmic symphony, creating unbelievable, beautiful music. That's our mission. And I hope you join us and see yourself as partners with this, with us. Please share. Please share your thoughts, comments, feedback, MeaningfulLife.com. You'll see a full array of resources and tools and life skills, which we continue to grow and continue to unfold new projects you'll be hearing about. And it's really, I could say thrilling, I would even say, exciting to be part of something like this because it's part of bringing light to the world. It's part of actualizing our great potential. It's part of realizing that what you see is not what you get, but what you see opens you up to things that are even beyond vision, even beyond the surface, to the point that it becomes a seamless transparency between the inner and the outer, total fusion. Thank you very much. This is Simon Jacobson. We're here live every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's all archived, so you can access it at any time, download it as podcasts, presented in many different forms and platforms. As I said, please share, please support us, please join us together. And our support, support is the key to making this happen. Support both moral support, psychological support, but also financial support at MeaningfulLife.com. Donate. I would encourage you to make any donation with your, the, good, the, the graciousness of your heart. And a recurring donation, of course, is most helpful because it helps us cover expenses and, more importantly, grow and expand all these programs and activities. Everyone very be well. Have a very good week. And I'll see you next Wednesday. Thank you so much.